Welcome to first worship gathering of 2022, and uh, hey, we're starting with the coldest day of the year. It can only get warmer from here on out, I hope. Uh, and if uh, you're joining us online, uh, you may have made the wiser decision <laughs> to not come outside and uh, come here, but we're so glad that you've joined us. If I've not had a chance to meet you, my name is Aaron, uh, lead pastor for Riverwood, and today we're changing things up. Um, rather than let um, the music prepare our hearts to hear and learn from the Word of God, we want to use the scriptures today to prepare our hearts to worship God. Today is day two of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. If you didn't start yesterday, that's okay. Uh, if you didn't get a devotional book, that's also okay. You can get one outside uh, in the lobby. Or if you're online, just uh, send us an email and we'll drop one off at your house. Uh, or uh, we'll mail you one. Or you can stop by the building sometime this week, Tuesday through Friday, and, and pick one up. Um, but we want to journey together through prayer and fasting. Uh, this year's theme... You all right, Emmerich? Okay. Uh, this year's theme is uh, the Upside Down Kingdom. Uh, we're going to be working through the entire Sermon on the Mount. And so on Sundays, what we're going to do is we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 6. So if you brought a Bible, whether a digital or paper one, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open it up to Matthew chapter 6. Today we are going to be doing verses 5 through 15. Uh, back in 1965, uh, Loretta Lynn released an album simply called Hymns. On that album was an original song that she entitled, Everybody Wants to Go to Heaven. Uh, the song's been covered by a number of artists, uh, and it found a little bit of fame within Christian circles in 2005 when the David Crowder Band performed the song. The main line of the song is that everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Now, I'm not a country music fan, but I think Loretta Lynn is exactly right. Everybody wants to go to heaven, but we just don't want to go through death to get there. And so that's why I think most people are doing what they can to find a little slice of heaven right here on this earth. And so for some people, to try to connect with heaven, they come to church. Uh, some people, they, they try to find that transcendent feeling through meditation. Some go to music concerts. Uh, other people might go out in nature. Uh, some people, though, try to find something that will aid them in this whether it be through drugs or alcohol or sleeping around. They, they do what they can to try to find themselves connecting with something bigger than themselves, something deeper, something that, that, that in a sense is worship. They're trying to connect with the divine. Today we're going to hear Jesus tell us that the way to connect with the God up in heaven is not to go through the highest of highs. Instead, the way to get up to the God in heaven is to get down on your knees in prayer. In other words, the way up is down. And we see this in Matthew 6. So as we get ready to study the topic of prayer to kick off these 21 days of prayer, let's do exactly that. Let's pray. So Heavenly Father, we pause before we uh, get going here to dedicate this morning, to dedicate these 21 days, to dedicate ourselves to what you want to do, what you need to do in our hearts and our minds Lord, I pray for every single person who is listening to this, whether they're right here in, in our building, if they're joining us online, or they're listening to the podcast later, that they would have a sense of you teaching them, of you speaking to them, of you drawing them close to you. Father, so many of us are lousy at prayer. It's a hodgepodge thing. We, we don't feel like we know how to do it. We're, we're embarrassed by it. We don't want to admit it. So God, would you do what you need to to help us grow in this area of prayer? 
that we would grow so much through these 21 days that we would find ourselves having a more intimate relationship with you because of this journey of praying and fasting. So God, would you just anoint my words? Would you speak through me? That, that when all is said and done, people would not be disconnecting if think, thinking about Aaron Bird and what he said, but instead they would leave here today logging off and, and having a sense that you were the one who spoke to them through your timeless words and through your Holy Spirit. So God, we give this whole morning to you. Would you help us as we start this new year to seek after you, to put you first, and that by putting you first, we would mark that by praying. So God, teach us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today's uh, passage uh, contains what is often known as the Lord's Prayer. Um, we actually looked at the Lord's Prayer um, back in 2019. Uh, we've been doing these uh, 21 days of prayer. This is our fifth year doing it. And we, uh, excuse me, we uh, studied the Lord's Prayer for the entire 21 days in 2019. So if, if you want to go deeper with what we're looking at today, just go on our website or onto our podcast feed and you can find the Teach Us to Pray series from 2019 and, uh, and go deeper. Today, we're just going to be kind of giving a broad overview of it. But I want to use this today to help us begin these 21 days of prayer, really having a sense of what does prayer look like? How does Jesus call us to it? All right, so uh, read silently along as I read aloud. We're going to do the whole thing here and then we'll work our way back through it. So start at verse five of Matthew six. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. <laughs> Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. When we jump in here into Matthew 6, we are jumping right into the midpoint of Jesus' famous sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, this is what we'll be looking at through those devotional booklets uh, that are out in the lobby uh, through, through this entire series. Jesus, at this point, has already covered topics like anger, lust, divorce, oaths. But then here at the midpoint, he shifts to the topic of prayer. What I find interesting is that Jesus doesn't just say, oh, hey, here's how to pray. He actually takes time to say, hey, here's how to not pray. And he specifically tells us two ways to not pray. The, the first way is that we are to pray not for show. Pray not 
for show. By the way, if you are a fill-in-the-blank type of person, I, there's actually notes this week in the handout, so you can write there. Some people are like, yes, thank you, Aaron. Uh, I can't guarantee it'll happen next week. But this week, you at least have, have some notes. Um, the first thing is pray not for show. Notice verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Now, I find it interesting that Jesus does not say, pray not like the Pharisees, because that is clearly who he is talking about here. Based on, on the whole description, you know it's some of the religious Pharisees who are standing out on the street corners trying to get all the attention. I mean, it makes sense. If you are in a religiously driven culture, your most religious person is going to be some of the most influential so if people see them as really holy, then they're going to stand out and people are going to want to listen to them and follow them. They're going to have influence and power in the culture. But Jesus does not say, don't pray like the Pharisees. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites. I think the reason is, is because there were some Pharisees who were very genuine in their pursuit of God. That for them, prayer really was about connection with the divine. For instance, in John chapter 3, we read about a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. Nicodemus was on the council, the, the Sanhedrin. And yet, we see him in John 3 go to Jesus and have a conversation. He wants to learn more. And he ends up becoming secretly a follower of Jesus. And when Jesus dies on the cross, Nicodemus is one of the guys to help bring his body down and help him get buried. And so not all Pharisees were hypocrites. However, there were some of the Pharisees that did stand out on the street corner. They did do these public prayers and their whole purpose was not to connect with God. It was to impress humans. And Jesus is saying, no, don't let your prayer be that way. Now, the reason Jesus points this out is because this is not just a pharisaical problem. Hypocrisy is an every year, every culture type of problem. I mean, there, there are people, pastors, others, who will stand up and publicly give these incredibly loquacious prayers. And they will use all the seminary words they can pack in there. They sound very King James-ish. Maybe they're speaking in tongues. They, you know, they, they, they throw all this stuff in there with the purpose being so people will be so impressed by them. Wow, he's so holy. He's so spiritual. I want to listen and be around someone like that. But really, all they're trying to do is in a sense to connect with people. It's about influence, it's about power, and it's not really about humbling yourself and connecting with God. Jesus is saying, don't do it. Now, don't mishear me. Little disclaimer. Jesus is not saying you should not pray publicly. I mean, Jesus himself prays publicly. As we study the scriptures, we see other disciples praying publicly. I mean, public prayers are a natural part of life. I mean, for me to say don't pray publicly makes me a hypocrite. Because just a moment ago, we prayed together. And this is a public worship gathering. Anyone is welcome to come and attend. What his point is, is don't make your only prayers the public prayers. It, your, your prayers are, are to be with people, but it's also about God. And we're going to get to this in just a little bit. Some of your deepest prayers actually need to be happen when it's just you and God one-on-one. -on -one. So first thing is do not pray for show. The second thing he says is do not pray for quantity. Pray not in quantity. Basically, he's saying, hey, it's about the quality of your prayer, not the quantity. Look down there at verse 7. 
And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Now, I assume most of you know this, but if not, a Gentile is simply someone who is not Jewish. This isn't some sort of racist or derogatory comment Jesus is making. And many of the Gentiles of Jesus' day, because they were not Jewish, did not serve and follow and worship the one true God. Some did, but but many did not. But they still believed there was some sort of divine being out there. And so they would pray. Many of them falsely assumed that the way to appease this God, to get what they want from their God, is through lots and lots of words. Also, through lots and lots of repetition. This manner of praying is to treat prayer as if it's like magic. Like if you say the right words in the right way at the right time, then God will answer your prayer. It also treats God as if he's like a, an earthly parent, where if you just keep saying the same words over and over and over and over, mommy, please, mommy, please, mommy, please, God will finally give in and give you what he wants. So he'll just get rid of you. That's not God. You, you can't just say the magic words and suddenly God's like, well, I guess I have to do it now. And you also can't wear him down. His patience is inexhaustible. In other words, what Jesus is trying to get at is don't waste your time just trying to fill it up with a bunch of words. It's not going to get you anything extra. It doesn't make your prayer more holy. Now, this does not mean that all of your prayers need to be 30 seconds long. I mean, as you study the scriptures, you see Jesus sometimes pray all night. So Jesus is not anti-long prayers. I mean, I hope some of you during these 21 days of prayers have times when you're praying, that the little devotional guide as you, you pray, suddenly you find yourself praying more and other things come to mind and other things come to heart. Next thing you know, instead of just the one minute prayer, you've gone three minutes or five or 10 or half an hour. And Jesus is not going to sit there going, oh, come on. I told you, don't pray like the Gentiles. Keep it short. No, his point is, don't think that you need to just fill it up. Don't, don't think that you can like somehow wear God down. You just seek after God. It's about this relationship. So do not pray for, uh, um, sorry, I already forgot my first point. Uh, don't pray uh, in, uh, Don't pray for show and don't pray in quantity. There we go. All right. So now he tells us two ways that we should pray. First way he says is to pray in secret. Pray in secret. Notice verse six. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, this past... uh, this past week, uh, my family and I went to Greenville, Illinois. We were out at my sister-in-law's place. And uh, we did not get good cell reception there. Like, when you're up in the main living room, you got about one bar. But as soon as you went back, like, to the bedrooms, or definitely if you went into the basement, forget it. You, you weren't going to get any signal at all. Which was actually kind of nice, because then we could just kind of be with family, and I couldn't just, like, surf sports scores. You know, so, so that was helpful. But God is not like cell signal. Like, God, there's prayer reception everywhere you go. The word that Jesus used here for room, uh, some commentary said that he's describing a room where there's no windows. And it's like this inner room. And yet, even when you go in there where no one can see you, unlike the, the hypocrites, where no one can hear you, unlike the hypocrites, 
God hears you. God sees you. See, Jesus wants you connecting with your father. This is about the relationship. And your deepest prayers are going to happen in that quiet place. Now, by all means, if, if you have a family, take time to pray together before a meal. If you've got kids, pray with them before you put them to bed. But don't let your only prayers be those prayers with others. Find a way, find time to get to a place where it's just you and God. Might be five minutes in the, in the you know, the, the comfy chair in the living room. Might be, you know, a few minutes before bed. Might be in the car. But find some space where you turn off the radio, you turn off the phone, and it's just you and God. And you are worshiping him in prayer. And you're praying in the secret place. And then he teaches us to pray with trust. The second way is to pray with trust. Verse 8. Do not be like them, referring to the Gentiles. For your father knows what you need before you ask. When I was a kid, uh, there were times when I would be playing all afternoon. And then suddenly I'd realize, I'm famished. And so I, I would rush inside. And I'd go, Mom, I'm hungry. And my mom would say, oh, great, perfect timing. Would you set the table? Because supper's about ready. Suddenly I felt like I got tricked in doing, doing a chore. But mom knew. Mom knew before I did, before I even asked, Aaron's going to come in and he's going to be hungry. God knows exactly what you need before you can even ask. That's why you don't have to fill up your prayers with all these empty words. God knows. But then that brings in the question. If God already knows, why bother asking? Have you ever uh, seen a dad throw their kid up in the air and, and catch him? Maybe a few dads I see smiling. You're like, oh, yeah, I've actually done it. Right? The kid loves it. You throw him in the air and then you catch him. Well, as you throw him in the air, you as the dad know, I need to catch my kid. I, if I don't catch my kid, they're, they're going to get hurt and they're not going to like me. I don't want to pay a hospital bill. Right? Your kid is in the air having a blast, but in the back of their mind, they're thinking, dad better catch me. So you're throwing him up. They're coming down. There's just an understanding. You've got to catch them. When you're praying, it's like God has thrown you in the air and he knows he needs to catch you. You know he needs to catch you, but you still pray and you still say, God, I trust you to catch me. The very foundation of prayer is trust. You still can go ahead and ask, but when you ask, when you make it public, you're in a sense saying, God, I know you already know this. And I already know what I need, but I'm still going to say it. God, I need you to do this. I need you to provide this. I need you to do this. But I trust you. I trust you will do it at the right time in the right way. The very foundation of prayer is trust. That is why we then see Jesus launch into what is known as the Lord's Prayer. And what I want you to see is how trust is the absolute undergirding factor of all of this. Jesus starts it off. Our Father. This is important. He is saying God is not an impersonal God who's so holy, so out there, so disconnected from you, you can't approach him. No, he's your heavenly daddy. The one who throws you up and catches you. You can approach him. You can come to him. You can trust him. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, listen, here's the trust. Your kingdom come. 
So God, you're the king of your kingdom. So what you say goes. That's what I want. I trust you so much. I want you to be in control. And not just your kingdom come. I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Like, God, it's all about you. You are so sovereign, so wise, so good. I want your will done right here in my life, just as it is in heaven. I trust you. And what do you trust him with? Your, your practical needs. The next thing is give us this day our daily bread. So you trust him for the basic things. You trust him for your spiritual needs. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And you also trust him with your future. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You're trusting him with your present, your past, and your future. God, I am trusting you with everything. Well, if you trust God with everything, and you're expressing that in prayer, Jesus makes a very interesting turn. And he helps us to see that if you trust God at this level, it should lead you to be the most forgiving, grace-filled person on earth. Because he makes this shift, verse 14. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. The reason Jesus brings this up is that in the Lord's Prayer, you're saying, Father, forgive me of my debts. Forgive me of my trespasses. Forgive me of my sins against you. Your sins are against a perfect, holy God. The sins that are done against you are done by one fellow sinful human against you, a sinful human. And Jesus is saying, if you as a sinful human refuse to forgive that sinful human, why in the world should a perfect holy God forgive you of your sin? Because if God can forgive you, you have to be forgiving of others. but, But Aaron, you don't know what they did. You're right, I don't. And I'm not excusing it. However, what I am saying is that if you say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. If God, if you can forgive me, I will forgive them. It doesn't mean there will be no consequences for what they've done. They might need to face some consequences for it. But it does not mean you remain the judge and jury of them. If you trust God, you're also then saying, God, I forgive them because I trust you to deal with them in the right way, the best way. Do you trust God with everything? Because that is the foundation of prayer. Yes, I, I, I want to see you be in secret. I, I want to see you not, you know, just filling up words, not, not doing it for show. But really what I want for you through these 21 days and beyond is that you develop this trust of God and that you put all of your trust in him and that it gets expressed in this prayer. But one of the natural outworkings of that might be you need to forgive someone during these 21 days. There may be someone that you've been holding on to something against. And God is saying, I want you to trust me. I will get you. So please pray in in secret. Pray with trust. But I realize some of you might be thinking, Darren, I've done that. 
I have prayed and prayed and prayed. I've asked God for things and he's not come through. I feel like he threw me up and then let me drop and I splattered on the ground. How in the world am I supposed to trust a God like that? Maybe what you need is not just to hear Jesus's words. Maybe what you need to do is see Jesus's example because he actually practiced what he preached. If you want to flip back to chapter 26 here in the book of Matthew, Matthew 26. I'm just going to read three verses. These are verses 36 through 39. Then Jesus went with them, his disciples, to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Just a couple hours after what we just read, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, is going to show up at the garden. And he's going to have brought with him a group of soldiers. These soldiers are going to arrest Jesus. They're going to haul him off. And here in the middle of the night, they're going to take him before the Jewish high court, the Sanhedrin. They're going to hold a sham of a trial, trying to find him guilty of something. Jesus is finally going to admit to them right there publicly, I am the son of God. They're convinced that therefore is heresy. This man must die. But the Jews can't do it themselves. And so they haul him first thing in the morning before the Roman courts, trying to get them to kill Jesus. The Romans decide, ah, we'll just beat him some and then release him. The Jews, Jewish leaders throw such a stink. The Romans are finally like, okay, we'll just kill the dude. Jesus gets hauled off. Not only does his back get whipped 39 times, he has a crown of thorns jabbed on his head, a robe put on his back, and a scepter put in his hand, and he gets mocked. Then after the blood on his back has dried into the cloth that gets ripped off, the crown of thorns left and he gets hauled off where he has to carry his own cross. After all that blood loss, he's expected to carry this heavy beam and he carries it out of the city up a hill where they lay him down and they drive nails through his wrist and his feet. And then they hoist him up for him to die. And when Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane, he knows exactly what is going to happen. He knows what's going to take place. And so the fully human side of him is saying, I don't want to go through this. This is going to hurt like hell. It's going to kill me. And that's why you see him in his prayer say, but not my, uh, sorry, you hear him say, let this cup pass from me. Saying, I, I don't want this. God, it feels like you threw me up and you just let me crash to the ground. And yet, did you hear the trust? Not my will. Not what I want in my human side. But what you and I, Father, agreed before time. That I would come to this earth and for this point right here, I would go to the cross to die for humans. Not my will. May your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on this earth, just as it is 
in heaven. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you faced. I'm, I'm sorry that you had to face the abuse. I'm, I'm sorry that for the things that they said to you. I'm, I'm sorry that he or she left you. I, I, I don't know why God let them die. I don't know why he's allowed this health crisis into your life or the life of a loved one. I, I, I don't know. I, I do know that if I were God, I, I would probably do it differently. I would change it. But that's because I have such a short-term perspective. I, I would try to do something and I'd probably mess something up for the future. But God, who is all-seeing, all-knowing, and all-loving, knows. And so what you feel like has been a drop to the ground, and you splatted, and he didn't catch you, the fact that you're still here and still breathing means he's not done. God is a God of resurrections. Your story is not finished God can still work in a way where you can once again experience joy, where you can once again be a blessing to others, where you once again find that healing and wholeness. That is why you can pray with trust no matter what you're going through. Even when you find yourself in your own garden of Gethsemane, you can still say, not my will, but your will. Because he is a good God who knows you and loves you so much, he sent his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but find that eternal, abundant life. I want you to have that kind of trust in God. I hope that through these 21 days, some of that will be developed. Many of you, you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. I hope that that relationship will even deepen. So we've got to follow Jesus' advice. Let's not waste our time, you know, uh, uh, praying like the hypocrites or like the Gentiles, just filling in a bunch of words or just doing it for show. Instead, during these 21 days, let's go find a place to get alone with God. Let's get into our growth groups to encourage one another. And let's together collectively on Sundays really seek after the Father to pray to trust, and to worship. So Heavenly Father, we want to do just that. We want to dedicate this year, dedicate ourselves, dedicate our lives to you. But God, some of us, it's hard to trust you. It really feels like you abandoned us in our most difficult moments. We don't understand why you allowed these things to happen why you allowed those people to say those things, why you've allowed our lives to go this way. And yet, even here in our own Gethsemane, you are with us, you have not forsaken us, and we want to be able to say, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, would you grow our trust of you? Would you build into us this, this deep, deep faith because God, you are good. You are all-knowing. And so we can trust you. God, help us to, to believe that even as we still draw breath, you're not done. We have not splatted on the ground. You are a good daddy and you will catch us. You will resurrect us in such a way that we can experience joy again. And when we experience that moment, you will receive all the glory. 
because it will be evident that we did not come out of this through our own strength, through our own wisdom, through our own might. We only came through this because of you. So God, would you take the next half an hour, the second part of this service, and would you help us to apply the very things we heard Jesus just teach? Right now in the, the quietness of our heart, we'd go into that inner room and we'd pray. It'd just be you and me. But that also as we pray, we would be able to express our trust. God, forgive us for our lack of trust. Still within us, courage. Still within us, a, a, a faith that isn't blind that isn't just doing this because some pastor said we should do this but a faith that is based upon the cross and the empty tomb because of who you are Jesus and what you did for us we can still trust you God even through our Gethsemane so God use this next several minutes that we have with you in worship and in prayer help draw our hearts to you and that as we leave here today prayers would not end. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what we want to do with the second half of our service today is spend some time responding in in song. So uh, the team's going to lead us uh, in a song based on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, Those of you who are part of our church family know that typically after the sermon we go and celebrate communion. We are going to do that today, but we're going to wait. You notice the elements aren't out yet. Because we want to spend this time first in, in, in prayer and seeking after God. After then some time here in song and in prayer, we will then move into our time of communion. So let's let this song, if you need to stand, you can stand. If you need to sit, you can sit. If you need to kneel, you may do so. But let's take this next half hour to just really pursue after God and connect with him as we begin these 21 days of prayer.